Yo, what's up? It's uh, it's Ed Gallo here. If you recognize the voice, we're on we're on the fight site as usual. This is not really any part of any of our structured series. This isn't uh, this isn't wrestling comrades. This isn't wrestling for MMA, but it is wrestling content nonetheless. I'm hanging out with uh, Richard and Jack here right after uh, Rumble on the rooftop. Basically, it's the first wrestling event in in months. Uh, since you know COVID quarantine started, uh, beat the streets Chicago, which is a wrestling nonprofit, uh, put on a event on the roof of a building, which you know sounds like a good way to avoid you know restrictions and and COVID and things. But as we'll get into, probably it wasn't all that different than if it was in a normal venue. Um, but yeah, it was a pretty cool card of, of men's freestyle uh, senior level people and M1 Greco world team member, which is awesome. Um, but yeah, the event just wrapped up, so we're going to be discussing the the matches and, and other thoughts and things of that nature, and I will let my co-hosts introduce themselves. Richard? Hey everybody, this is Richard Mann, uh, Rafe Henry Matt, do some ESPN MMA stuff. You can find me on Twitter at Richard A. Mann with two N's. And Jack is muted. Hey, this is Jack Hurley with uh, the Fight Site. Uh, just joined Fight Site uh, officially this past week. Woo. And mostly talk about wrestling. And you do a great job at it. Yeah, we got got a dream squad here. But yeah, basically we're just gonna go through all the matches that happened and talk about what happened in the matches and anything else that that comes up in our minds. And I'm gonna let Richard handle that. Cool, cool. All right. So the first senior level match was uh, Mitch McKee versus Nick Dardanes, two former Minnesota wrestlers. Um, you know, I thought going into it that it would be kind of McKee's uh, better freestyle acumen and his ability to get to his head punches and, you know, fend off the uh, leg attacks and doubles from Dardanes. And it kind of turned out that way. I thought uh, McKee kind of ran out of gas and I thought Dardanes looked a little better, but uh, the result was kind of in line with how I thought the match was going to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I felt like, uh, you know, beforehand I picked Dardanes just because I figured – I wasn't exactly sure what size they were because I know Dardanes has been at 65 for a while, right? Um, and McKee is kind of still a bit growing into the weight. He's been wrestling 141 uh, in college. So I, I don't know. I, I, I guess I took account of the size in these matchups more than it ended up mattering. Uh, but yeah, I just figured because Dardanes is such a heavy hand fighter uh, that he's like using that to break stance. And then McKee being an upper body guy that he could keep him out of those positions, but ended up being the opposite that his style ended up feeding him into those positions that McKee is good in. And then uh, when things did happen, it was McKee, you know, getting the better of those situations. Yeah. That that was also something I took note of was McKee seemed really there physically where, you know, a guy's first year coming out of college, sometimes it takes him a little bit to, to get the the grip strength and the kind of horsepower sometimes, but he seemed like he's, He's ready to go on the senior level. Mm-hmm. And this, this is basically like, you know, the, uh, the boxing stylistic trinity of slugger, swarmer, uh, boxer, is it? Th- this seemed like the... Yeah, there's a bunch of them, but yeah. <laughs> the like, paradigmatic like, slugger beats swarmer, like the, the mid-range, like the boxer puncher beats pressure. It's a good analogy. I do think, though, Dardanes is a guy who's been around the senior level for a while. And, you know, he's not really like a huge name. He doesn't have a lot of, you know, medals in tournaments domestically or internationally. But 
for someone like McKee, who I think prospects have always been better in freestyle than folk style, these are the kind of guys he's going to have to beat routinely. And uh, I mean, I think, you know, he pulled it out. I think the final score was 6-2. He looked good. But, you know, it's like if he wants to make an U.S. Open finals, he's going to have to win, you know, three or four of these, ma- these type of matches in a day. So I think it's a good taste for him early. And, you know, we'll see how it develops. Yeah, and his college career being cut short, like so many people, like you want him to, to transition well. So, yeah, it's a good, it was a good look overall. And, and you can't, I mean, we are drawing conclusions from these matches, but at the same time, we have no idea how much and how well people have been able to train for this. So it might all be skewed, but I mean, he looked there for most of it. So it was encouraging. All right, so we're going to move on to the next match, which was uh, Brett Farr versus Zach Braunagel. Um, I thought this was one of the bigger upsets on the card. Uh, Farr uh, was much more accomplished during his collegiate career. Uh, Braunagel, I believe, is a redshirt sophomore still um, at Illinois. And uh, Braunagel scored, I believe he had a three-point lead, and then Farr cut it to 4-3. I went ahead 4-3, and then Braunagel scored a late takedown to pull it out. So, um you know, I thought his ability to get to legs was pretty surprising, but also his ability to fend off a lot of the longer shots. So Far had a huge size advantage, I thought. He was big mm-hmm. and tall. Um, so very impressive performance from Braunagel. I wonder, though, if this is another example of guys who are still in collegiate programs and getting that regular training and that regular, you know, touch versus guys who've been out for three or four years and they're kind of on their own for training. I want to get your guys' thoughts on that. This did kind of seem like a situation where maybe Farr hadn't been able to train quite on the same level where he was a little bit. It, it took him a while to get going. Like he wrestled way better in the second period than in the first. Mm-hmm. And it seemed like just he just needed a few more reps. This was a, a really good performance by Bronicle. He, I mean, he, he was in that arm drag a lot and he was getting to the legs. And then it's just. Far couldn't defend quite as well as maybe I thought, and Far couldn't get to Barnacle's legs at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and just in terms of like a statement and how big of an upset it is, like not only did Far have a pretty credentialed college career, I mean he's finding himself a little bit in freestyle, and this is you know grain of salt, but he did beat Boris McCoya at, at his last competition in freestyle. Was it the Schultz or was that Farrell? I think one, it was one of those. I think it was the Schultz, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, anyways, he beat uh, he beat Abinader, he beat Aaron Brooks, he beat wow. um, Max Dean this past year in freestyle, and those are kind of the top guys at at uh, at one eighty four. So mm-hmm. you figure a, a kind of mid tier one eighty four, right? Because Bronigal was national qualifier, but not really right with those guys in this past college season. Right, we would pick all those guys to be Brown Eagle head to head, I think. For sure. I thought this was going to be a tech. I thought Farr was going to tech him pretty easily. Didn't think it was even close. But, uh, yeah. I think Brown Eagle surprise is just like in terms of how good he is. And also maybe it was a factor that Farr wasn't quite as prepared as he could have been. He looked a little uh, like he was wearing it a little rough as, as the match went. But even though he like picked up his form and, and got into the match more, it just, he looked like he was struggling physically. Um, whereas Braun Eichel was looking uh, in in match shape for sure. And that's I think that was a dynamic that was playing out throughout the card is the differences in conditioning. Yeah, sometimes it's hard to tell how much it's just their their kind of natural style, but you could definitely see some guys struggling to keep stance. 
Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, Far was wrestling a full head higher at some points than right. Garnagle was. That's probably why that high C was there for him. <laughs> it wasn't too much of a level change to get to that. Cool. All right, so we're going to skip over uh, some of the youth matches. Aaron Stewart beat Joey Rusick, first period tech, and then Mia Colombo beat Shea Rizel, first period tech, um, one-sided matches. The next one, I guess, was also one-sided as Nizar Kolchitsky um, put up a 10-0 over Zach Bronagle's brother, Danny Bronagle. Uh, originally, they had it scored 8-2. They went to review. They came back. They said it was 10-0, which I think was correct. I don't didn't see any points for Bronagle in that exchange, so I was kind of confused. Um, he left his shoes on the mat and moved on after that. Uh, I th- this match kind of turned out how I thought the far Braun yeah. match would turn out. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, it's kind of sad to see Nazar move on. I mean, he's a guy, he's in pretty much a stacked weight with a lot of some of the best, you know, American wrestlers, but he's always been a tough out. And mm-hmm. he seemed pretty content to move into coaching, so that's fine with me. But uh, yeah, it's good to see him go out with it down the biggest stage. For sure. And, you know, no matter what, we'll always have his Instagram account with him doing all these crazy fitness challenges. Yeah. In between matches, I watched him do 20 muscle-ups and then, uh, like, a crazy several-minute workout with, like, a 45-pound plate. So, as long is as he, he keeps working out, I'm, I'm Is happy. he the new Boris Novoshkov? Yeah, but his are, like, you know, they're crazy workouts, but it's, like, a normal person doing hard workouts versus a crazy person doing... A lot he of does things. what what uh, <laughs> what Novachkos does with knives and nunchucks and does with weights. It's basically, yeah. I guess, what you could say. Yeah. That's, that's a good comparison. <laughs> did uh, did Nazar immigrate like during high school? Yeah, he was like fifteen or sixteen. He came over from Ukraine. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean, I I've always enjoyed him just because you know he he brings that European style, um, which is a thing that I think our guys could use to to get that look, um, and plus just that we can know that it's an option because he did win three national titles in, in division three um, in folk yeah. style. But yeah, Route I always two. enjoyed him. We'll, we'll get to that later, but yeah. two, two division three guys. And he hit a really uh, sick, uh, hit a nice back tuck before the retirement. So good, good overall. It just, it stinks that, you know, if this is something he had planned for a while and then he just kind of had to put it off and then he said, okay, next time I compete, I'm doing it. And this is a pay-per-view. It didn't have the traditional audience drawn in probably. So not too many people are probably going to know about this retirement versus if he did it on, you know, you know, world team trials. Yeah. He, he has, you know, a, a battle with Dake or Martinez and then takes his shoes off at Olympic trials. That's a more satisfying way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, still respect him. on a win. For sure. So moving on against the, uh, up the card, uh, Nestor Taffer took on Dylan Ness. Uh, this actually turned out to be a pretty solid match. Yeah. Um, Taffer was able to get to his attacks early in the match. Um, he hit like a reach single into a gut, and he was up 4-1 at the period. Uh, Ness got a questionable five-point throw. I would not have called this a five. I think it was close. Um, but he, after that, he was, it was pretty much his match, and he won going away 10-4. to four. Uh, Of the guys on the card, I will say Ness probably looked to be in the best, like, physical shape. He seemed to have wind. He seemed, you know, his body was in a good place. So, um, yeah, whatever his training situation was, he seemed to be more with it than some of the other guys on the card. Mm -hmm. It's weird because Ness is a guy that I've considered, like, falling apart and being held together with duct tape for all these years. Like, even Right, yeah, at the end of his college career. Exactly. Like, I didn't think he'd ever be someone who's, like, competing and doing well in freestyle. I thought he was kind of done. 
Um, but yeah, he showed up, and he, it took him a little bit to get into the match, I think, because he, he doesn't really have a style where he can, like, get right to his shots anyway. He's always been a counter guy, and uh, Taffer's attacks are pretty clean to, to start with. And plus, I think Taffer being more in the loop internationally because he's on Colombia's world team uh, and, I assume, Olympic team, uh, he's probably, you know, been in the cycle more often. He's probably a little sharper. And I think Ness had to shake the rust off a little bit there. But yeah, once he started getting to his counters, he uh, he almost hit that. What do people call it? They call it Gator Bacon. But he had the head. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he had it. Yeah, he almost hit it. And I'd like to see him hit it with elevators. That's the classic. But uh, he showed it a little bit. That's that's what I wanted. Because that's kind of his his twist on it, is that he doesn't just do it when people are in on his leg. He does it off bottom. Mm-hmm. And that. That that would have been a great way to great way to win, but he, he had a he had a highlight anyway with his mm-hmm. his four. As Richard said, it was not five. That scramble but, at the end, like to get his last two. What what did he do there? I was like looking away, and I look back, and he's like shelving the leg, and he's turning back into him with the single. So he hit uh, Nestor. I think he was draped over the top. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and he got and then to he both sort of legs. did the. He did like the Seth Rose thing where you dive all the way over so that they don't have your legs anymore. Like you dive behind them. And then he, he came up to his feet and then he had the whole. Yeah, because he, he, yeah. he had the ankle already when he was draped over top. And I think he just kind of like picked it up. It and cool. I think he had another just straight ankle pick after that. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In like the final minute he had those two takedowns, which was nice. Yeah, he was looking good. So hopefully, uh, you know, next time things start to pick back up for, you know, team selection process that we get Ness in there and uh, get to see him wrestle some more. Because, I mean, I, I always enjoyed him a lot when he was wrestling for Minnesota. So uh, more Ness is, is good. And he was in sick shape for sure. He he looked great physically. Yeah, he's I – th- I think going up in weight probably helps him just manage that a little bit easier. He'll be probably 74 for the trials. All right, so the next match was probably the wildest match. Um, we ended up with 24 points on the board, uh, Zane Richards and Zach Sanders. Uh, going in, I thought that Zane Richards was going to have a pretty clear advantage. Zach Sanders is a guy who's been on the scene for a long time. He doesn't really compete very much, mostly a coach uh, mm-hmm. over there in Minnesota. But uh, And Ed and I were kind of talking about this before we started recording, that perhaps the mat was slick here because it seemed like Richards was really close to scoring on his go-behinds multiple times, and Sanders was able to kind of – snake out or even get to his own offense so um it was a surprising result in that it was very competitive a lot of points were scored zane richards did win as expected but uh yeah maybe some cardio work there too because he he seemed to fade even though he pulled out the match yeah yeah both guys seemed a little bit not completely dialed in like they they'd get to a a position where it seemed like they should score and just kind of not quite follow through and I mean they, they did well as scramble out but it seems like if you're clicking you'll finish that every time what was cool though is the the dynamic basically between Richard's approach and the counters that Sanders seemed to have prepared for it because you know uh, Richards is super into snap underhook and and go from there and hit, hit his throw buys and hit whatever comes after that and more than once I saw Sanders hit overhook shucks and like a whole bunch of fancy under, underhook counters um, and then eventually he started pressuring straight in and hitting the high C off the underhook, which was really cool because uh, there was a small size disparity and Sanders looked like he was carrying his weight 
you know, not ideally. So he was maybe a little puffed up, whereas, you know, Richards looked super solid. And just to see him come in on the high seat and elevate him right away off that shot was super explosive. It was cool to see. Um, I was kind of rooting for him as the match progressed just because of how slick he was looking and how prepared he seemed technically. Um, but Richards being almost completely gassed and still finding the go-behinds and finding the uh, the attacks was pretty inspirational as well. So I think I'm going to write about this one just because it was a wild mess and there's a lot of cool stuff happening within the chaos. But yeah, I think technically that was it was definitely one of the more interesting matches despite the slippery mat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you have to give a lot of credit. That's really hard to do what Richards did where you're starting to gas. You're, you're not all the way there, but you hold it together. I mean, that, that could have been just a meltdown. He could have given up eight points in the last minute. Mm-hmm. And he kind of, he, he managed his, his pace, didn't do a whole lot, but he, you know, kept wrestling. I think it's worth mentioning that Richards has been like traveling and, and competing internationally, even if he's not like close to making a team or, or being the rep. Uh, I think he, I think for 2019, I think he was World Cup. I think he was on that roster. Um, and they, like the U.S. kind of sent their C squad because it was in Russia. And I think they feared what would happen if they, <laughs> like if there would be foul play if they sent the A team. So they, they send a little backup squad like Russia usually does to us. Um, but those guys are great. They they won duels, and I think uh, Richards was there, and he's been he's been at a few tournaments. So I think just having that additional exposure uh, is super helpful in those kinds of situations. Like you get a ton more experience in those couple matches against that caliber of guy than you do, you know, ten years on the domestic circuit. Like Xanders has a few years on him competing, but I think just the level uh, made a huge difference. Yeah, I think they. The uh, Illinois RTC, they've got uh, Brian Medlin now. Uh, and it, it, he's he's kind of an underhook guy, and I think that's mm-hmm. helping Richards a lot. And that, that's probably his path to to making a team, is just being stylistically different from everybody else. Yeah. And just kind of finding, finding his edge and going with it. There was one point in the match that I kind of wanted to highlight, and, you know, Ed, if you write about it, I'm sure the way you do deep dives, you'll probably cover this, but it was kind of like – I'm not exactly sure how they got into the position, but it was almost as if Richards kind of had a mixer over the head position and Sanders elevated it up. And then it was kind of clear to me, at least, that it looked like it was going to be Sanders' points, but Richards hung on to it a lot more than I thought he should. Was, it, was this at the beginning of the match? Too. I think it was, it was like the beginning of the second period. Oh, okay. Is that when he was reaching back for like the headlock? And- yeah, oh, he had like oh, yeah, the yeah, reach yeah, yeah. back head. And uh, I thought, I thought I was like, oh man, he's going to get bombed here. And he didn't, but I was impressed with his ability to like, even though he still gave up two, I thought the, the fact that he hung in there was pretty impressive because it was definitely an odd position for him. So I look forward to your breakdown of that when you do that. I, I look forward Hopefully. to figuring out what happened there as well, because I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, one match where we do know what happened, uh, Joe Rao and Pat Downey had the, what they called Freco match, the freestyle Greco rules <laughs> match. Now, um, a lot to dive in here. So they did not announce that this was a freestyle Greco match till late in the week. Then they didn't announce what the rules actually were going to be. And I believe what the rules turned out to be was they were going to flip a coin. The winner of the flip got to pick the style. And then that style would go first. And then they would do the other style second. And there were no technical falls. What ended up happening is Downey, because he's Pat Downey, picked... Greco for the first period, and he got rolled up, and he gave up nine points in the first period, scored a pair of takedowns in the second period, and lost. After the match, he claimed that 
Um, he didn't know they were gonna have forced parterre, which if it was Greco rules, I don't know how you don't know there's gonna be forced parterre, but uh, yeah, that's pretty much what happened. Um, you know, or, or Jack ran me through the scoring for the Greco. Basically, they, you know, there was the caution, down he went down, he got thrown, two for the leg foul, two for the other throw as well. Um, so it was nine points for the first period. And then Downey had a little overhook to far ankle move that he hit twice in the second period for four points. He went for it a couple more times and didn't get it. So I think the big takeaway is Downey did not look to be in peak physical condition and that David Taylor match is looming. And uh, yeah, <laughs> that's all I got to say about that one. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad the official uh, treated the Greco match as a real Greco match where yeah. if a guy is wrestling negatively if a guy's just trying to clear out that is passivity and you, you should get put down and it seems like in a lot of things like this they're pretty lenient where you know Downey could have kind of stalled through you know maybe you know they maybe wouldn't have called the leg foul they wouldn't have put him down so quickly <coughs> and he, he, he kind of gets away with it he, he's down you know three or four points after Greco but no they, they, they called it like a Greco-Roman match and he, I think he probably regretted picking Greco first. Right, because it wasn't even that he was talking about the force parterre, but he literally went into a Greco match and tried to hang in an overhook, which is like if you watch the UWW video of what negative wrestling is, it's like you're going to get called for yeah. that immediately. Mm -hmm. And he was. Like he yeah. was, I think he was put down in the first like thirty seconds. <laughs> yeah, it, so. it, it was. It was like forty-five seconds. I was like, oh, is that the first? Pa oh, that's the second passive. All right. <laughs> Yeah, he. I mean, he's going to be mad about it no matter what happens. Something interesting was uh, when they started the force parterre. I didn't have the sound on, so I didn't know when they started the action or not. It seemed like Downey went before Rao had actually positioned himself. Yeah, he he tried to do a stand-up. Yeah. yeah. He tried the Kamal Bay like, dive-out thing. Yeah, it, it, it kind of worked. It, it almost worked. <laughs> And then, yeah, uh, when he got him. to his feet, I thought he was going to get launched. Like, he ended up getting launched, but when he first stood up, I was like, oh boy, he's really going to get it. So, he yeah, that was a mistake. That. <laughs> I respect it. I respect the effort. Yeah. I, uh, I got to respect his, his commitment to the bit, too, because he was on Twitter about a minute after the match ended. Yeah. Yeah. Right away. Right well, yeah, on the roof, it didn't look like there were any locker rooms. Like when they walked out for the matches, there were you could see the dude's bags were just there. So mm -hmm. he probably just sat down in the singlet, pulled out his phone. <laughs> I liked his singlet though. I liked his custom Pat Downey singlet. That was nice. The Uzbekistan colors. <laughs> are, are we he's done with, uh, with the, the he's got Pat like Downey a, thing? Go ahead. We're he's got done. to deal with Barbarian or whatever, right? So he's got yeah. all the singlets. True. Yeah, Richard, I think we've always been done with him, but, you know, a certain company still right. keeps his name in the news, so. Well, I was, I was more specifically about, like, the the unique rules down matches. Oh. Like, he had the three-only oh, the, match. That's and still he had them. The They're the ones putting match. it on. Yeah, it's yeah. just, I, he should, if he wants to make another world team and he's serious about wrestling, he's a very talented guy, just wrestle freestyle matches. You know, these other rule matches aren't doing anything for anybody. They, even if even when they sound good on paper, they don't really turn out for the fans. I thought this match was exciting because I thought Rao looked yeah. good, but yeah. some of his other mixed rules and mixed style matches have not been uh, fun for the viewers. So just wrestle freestyle, please. I like when he wrestled for push-outs with the bobsled guy. 
That is still my favorite. <laughs> they they should have gone like best of five because it was over yeah. too quickly. Yeah. They uh. So yeah, I mean, we we were talking about this with uh, the David Taylor match. He wanted there to be no tech falls, uh, and, and Flo, of course, said no. And it's, it's they, they've got to protect their, they've got to keep his drawing power. Where if, if he loses twenty eight nothing, no one's going to watch his matches anymore. Oh yeah, I, I'm a I'm a big proponent of the no tech falls in general because it's only six minutes, but um, in freestyle especially, you can score yeah, so quickly. Right, we would get like. 22 to 24 matches routinely with, with no text. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're up 12-0 and next thing is 12-10. That's the only reason that, uh, I, I forget what it was, it might have been Aegon or uh, Ben Askren yeah. and Clayton oh, Foster yeah. and, and Foster 10-0'd him pretty quickly and then Askren got to stick around long enough to score two points. That was the Flow Premier League. Yeah. Flow Premier don't, League. Yeah, don't forget that one. They had the, the Tirapelli rules where it was like kind of freestyle, kind of yeah. style. Not, not Flow Premier League is coming back, except they're, they've gotten rid of that branding. But they, the the Dake Chimizo thing, they should call for Flow Premier League Six. Why not? Yeah. All right. So as Jack said, or, I'm sorry, as Ed said, we're pretty much done with Pat Downey. So we're going to move on to the co-main event. Um, this was a match between two guys who had locked up number one seeds for the NCAA tournament. Um, and that tournament did not happen, as everyone knows. Pat Lugo, who was number one at 149, took on Luke Fletcher, who was number one at 141. Uh, in the end, Lugo won five to nothing. He scored three step outs and two takedowns. Um, at least two of the step outs uh, could have been takedowns. So this was actually a pretty dominant performance from Lugo. Fletcher was only really close to a takedown once, uh, and Lugo was able to scramble away. I'll say that I picked Pletcher going into this match because I thought that his ability to push the pace and string attempts together would give Lugo problems. Uh, It turned out to be the opposite, and Lugo's ability to control the tie and get low and just use his upper body strength completely neutralized Pletcher, and uh, Mm -hmm. he was able to get to, you know, it's the same offense Lugo always gets to, snap downs to the leg, you know, shrug to the leg, underhook to the leg, but... um he was able to get to it and it was just like right out of the Lugo playbook. I was very impressed. I didn't, I didn't think that match was going to go that way. And he looked really good. This was the one where I was like, yes, the size was definitely a big factor in this yeah, one. It's a, it's a 41 right. versus a 40, 49 and the 41 it's a converted is a 33. Yeah. yeah. So it, it was pretty clear that Pletcher's game wasn't working too well against a guy that's bigger than him. And plus just, uh, you know, Lugo being able to control position and uh, Lugo was looking thick, too. It wasn't, you know, cut down to 49 Lugo. That was a, a full-size Lugo in the Sorensen singlet, which was, was a nice touch. That was cool. Yeah, I, I picked Lugo because I thought he just holds position really well, and Pletcher mostly scores off of people getting themselves out of position with re-attacks and with, uh, you know, he'll, he'll just circle one way and circle the other, and they just can't keep up. And I think this was one case where – one guy wasn't quite a hundred percent, maybe wasn't able to train. It seemed like Pletcher just wasn't as sharp as you'd expect him to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like just, no, just not quite firing on all cylinders. And, you know, you can't expect any of these guys to be firing on all cylinders right now. So it's, it's okay. We're all right with that. What weight do you think Lugo would end up at 
I mean, I, I don't think he's going to have a chance to qualify for the Olympics, but, you know. Where I think he'll be 65. Yeah, I think he's 65, yeah. That's a, I mean, that's a tough weight. I mean, yeah, he, 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 may, he may spend some time at 70. Everything about him screams that he's going to do MMA, but now he's Iowa, and Iowa guys pretty much never do MMA, yeah. so I'm concerned. I want it. I want it bad. I think he'd be great. He's got the yeah, look. Especially he – the thing is he doesn't have, I think, much path to a team. Like, the, the reason Downey hasn't gone MMA yet is he got too good at wrestling. Yeah. And well, now he feels David like David Taylor got, got too injured at wrestling. Yeah, but he, he, he <laughs> thinks he's got a shot, and so he, he's wanted to stick around. I, I think Lugo might – go two and two with the u.s open and decide mm-hmm. maybe there's somewhere else i could be making more money yeah richie lewis was supposed to do mma like three years ago and it still hasn't happened don't know what his excuse is but we want you that, that is a richie good lewis. point you bring up where it's like if you're like a b plus guy not you know relative to the field if you're like a b plus guy at 97 or 86 i mean you're like routinely top three whereas you know some of these weights like 65 74 I mean, you know, you could be like ninth or tenth and still be like, you know, a solid guy. So uh, it is kind of unforgiving in that way, domestically anyway. Um, so we mentioned 65 might be the place for Lugo. Uh, one of the top contenders there, Jordan Oliver, was in the main event against Jason Nolf, who has been wrestling at 74. Uh, both guys talked before this as it was going to be an exciting match, a lot of offense. It did not turn out that way. Um, Oliver got put on the clock early in the match. Nolf got the point. Early in the second period, Nolf got put on the clock. Oliver got the point. They ended up putting Oliver back on the clock late in the match. Nolf got a second shot clock point. And then Oliver went for like a kind of desperation head pinch at the end. It didn't work out. Nolf took the match. Uh, I don't even think Oliver really committed to a leg attack in this match. Nolf kind of turned the pace up with his hand fighting. Um, I think... I don't think the size was a problem for Oliver from like a like a mass standpoint, mm-hmm. but I do think that Nolf's like length and reach yeah. was giving Oliver a lot of trouble because he would routinely just double arm shove Nolf away to create the distance and get away from the hands, but then he would be too far to do anything offensively. And I think that that just kind of threw him off and he couldn't get to any of his leg attacks. Mm-hmm. And Nolf is used to operating from that kind of space. So it's like Oliver kept pushing him off, pushing him off, making him come toward him. Because I, you know, with someone bigger than you, if you're going to take a leg attack, it's nice to have some momentum on your side. You know, have them walking into you and have them pressuring into you. But, and he was doing a good job hand fighting and making sure Nolf couldn't snap him around, just his game as well. But Nolf is pretty comfortable with like taking really long shots. Um, he's so fast. He's so explosive. He can pull that off. And it was just a weird matchup on paper already. So like, Seeing it that way, Oliver's game plan made sense. Nolf not biting made sense. Uh, the officiating made sense. Like most of it made sense. It just kind of fizzled at the end, which is what happens sometimes when two guys do that. Although Oliver did almost try to cartwheel over the wizard, and then he's like, "Man, you are too tall for this," and then he didn't do it. But it was right before the head pinch. <laughs> yeah, so that was a uh, almost an exciting moment there. <laughs> yeah. It was – do you think they were, like, worried about the slippery mat? Because pe- people were talking about it before. Oh, the mat's getting slippery. Oh, this is going to be really bad. And then it didn't seem like a huge problem, but it also seemed like Oliver just refused to commit hard to a shot. Mm-hmm. Like, normally he'll – even when it's not really there, he'll he'll drive hard on a double just to 
kind of get him moving like Burroughs does. There, there was none of that. It was right. He, he just seemed completely out of ideas. Mm-hmm. It's a high risk situation, low reward. You know, like what really you don't really get anything for beating Nolf. He's not in your weight class. Right. Um, it's not like he wrestles like Zane. <laughs> There's not really much carry over there. So you have a guy that can scramble really, really well. And maybe you don't want to take an outside shot or, you know, end up in a situation where you're underneath him or in any weird positions. Like, I think all exhibition wrestlers are probably still thinking about David Taylor, you know, mm-hmm. destroying his knee against Drew Foster. So it's like, mm-hmm. what, how much risk are you going to take? Um, and that, that match, the way it went down made sense. I just expected them to shoot. <laughs> I, I maybe should have realized how well Nolf was going to be prepared and how much they were going to game plan for him. Because, I mean, Zane's had so many matches with him. Mm-hmm. Zane was clearly, you know, well-schooled going into their series last year. And it, it makes sense that he, you know, he, he would always come in with his his right hand low. Sometimes he was going lefty stance, which has given Oliver a lot of problems. Yeah. Uh, with with Molinero and with Dake and with other guys. So that was the main event. It was kind of anticlimactic as these things go. Um, I don't know if you guys want to touch on the show, like from a non wrestling perspective. Uh, Just the production and stuff. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I don't want to bag on the event. I thought it was a good event. I enjoyed watching it. Um, you know, just some things like no replays, um, not really understanding what the calls were. They had the, the, the commentary table on the opposite side as the scoreboard and they just couldn't see. Is that what was yeah. going on? Yeah. And I think that they said that at one point they said they couldn't even see a clock. So they didn't even know how much time was left. Yeah, Warner apparently couldn't see the clock and he had the other guys telling him what was going on. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean... It is, it is kind of one of those things, like our sport is kind of young in that sense when it comes to broadcasting, but at the same time with the technology available in 2020, you know, you can have your graphics and have your commentators, like you can have that queued up and unfortunately they didn't and, you know, maybe that'll turn some people off. Um, yeah, I mean, I don't want to be overly negative, but it, it was kind of tough to watch at times. Do you think, did, did Fight TV, do they send someone to set it up? Or is it like you do your production and Fight will stream it and they'll tell you, they'll tell you how to make it go to their stream? Like the logistics are very confusing to me how that was actually yeah, arranged. Sure. Like who put right. that on? Because you know, it, it did it seem like one of the cameras was handheld, didn't it? The way yes. it was moving. <laughs> Definitely, yes. yes. Yeah. It was stationary and one handheld for sure. And, and I know that, that, yeah, <laughs> I know that Fight does produce and broadcast a lot of foreign country things so yeah, like, like i think they, that's all i know right they are picking up a lot of like just here's the stream we're gonna broadcast it we'll collect the money and we'll split it with you and i kind of thought that that's what this was gonna be but then you saw that they had the fight logo was all over you know mm-hmm. the, the roof so uh they had a hand in it and i think it's good if they do because uh you know not everything needs to be a subscription service if they want to put it on for it i think for a lot of people that's yeah. better than you know, $300 a year or whatever flow is now. But yeah. um, yeah, I mean, if this thing, you just iron out some of that tech stuff and, uh, you know, better prepare the commentators, I think, I think it'd be fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the future, like, especially now that like big 10 network, for example, isn't, doesn't have their deal flow anymore. If it's like, I can get most of college wrestling, you know, through ESPN, through big 10 network, which like 
most people have through cable, I would say. Uh, at least most wrestling fans have. And then, like, you know, a couple big events or, or pay-per-views, like 10, 15 bucks. I'll, I'll gladly, I'll gladly pay it, especially if I know that it's going to the athletes. Like, in this case, a lot of the money went to the, uh, the regional training centers uh, that were being represented. So, like, I'm cool with that. I think that's, like, a, a, a way that I know that I'm directly benefiting the athletes and I don't have to worry about, you know, what the company's doing or, you know, let my biases affect how I'm spending to grow the sport. You know what I mean? So I think maybe the pay-per-view model for smaller events like this, which is what Fight is really good with. I've watched, like, $5 KSW events before. Like, it doesn't feel like much of a commitment. Ryzen cards are usually $20. Uh, so it's, like, I think those lower price pay-per-views are, are a good uh, way to break into wrestling. A bunch of people in the Fight Site Discord uh, bought this pay-per-view that aren't necessarily wrestling fans, and I ended up talking with them about it, like, while it was going on. So I think the price point was attractive. And in the future, if they want to do more events like this and they have more preparation for good production value, I think it could actually be viable as, you know, a way of athletes making money and, you know, regional training centers making money and the sport being a little more uh, business savvy. Yeah. So I think that that's, uh, I don't know, Jack, you have any other comments on the production? I think that's pretty much all I got. Um, no, I mean, I mean, similar to what you guys said, definitely could have been cleaner, could have been smoother, but it's, it, it's good to have alternatives. You know, it's, it's good to have different, uh, different promotions offering different things. Uh, you know, hopefully we see more of these going forward. For sure. Cool. Um, I, I feel like we're wrapping up. Correct me if I'm wrong. Sounds uh, good to me. All right, cool. Uh, I, I think it's a good, we, we all, we all produce content. So I think it's a good time to plug whatever, whatever you're producing. I already said, I think my next thing is uh, that, that analysis or maybe something specific on, on Sanders and, and Richards. What do you got going on Richard? Oh, there's a two week break, I think for UFC. So I'm mm -hmm. going to take that time and uh, probably turn around some wrestling stuff. I'm working on, you know, some stat collection stuff for the new college season if it happens. So, uh, you know, look for that coming in the fall slash winter. How about you, yeah, I, um, I may do some sort of recap thing for this event, um, and we'll have to figure that out so we don't take each other's uh, – scoop each other, but <laughs> hopefully some kind of – something probably looking at uh, the, the more exciting matches on this card, and then probably nothing until the, uh, the Dave Chimizo event in Texas. It's in a month or so. Yeah, yeah. We can do this again for that All one. All right. That'll be fun. Let's do it. I'm down. All right, cool. Everyone listening, make sure that you are subscribed to the Fight Site YouTube channel. If you're not on Patreon yet, make sure you get on Patreon. If you're not in our Discord server, make sure you do what you got to do to get our Discord server. And obviously, follow us all on Twitter because that's where we do most of our our talking. All right, cool. So I think we'll, we'll do this again for next event. And uh, I'm excited to keep expanding the wrestling coverage on the site. See you guys later.